Welcome back to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday morning. I'm super delighted to welcome back on the program our Tuesday reporter, Andrew Dambina. Andrew, Anders, it's good to speak to you. How are you today? Good to speak to you in person, Noreen Mayer. I'm good. Yes, How are it's, you? Yes, I'm doing very well. Is it very windy in the outlying island that you're at at the moment? Uh, actually, yes. It's, uh, it really, really has been this morning. Just as we're speaking, though, the wind has decided to drop a lot, but it's been really, uh, yeah, really gusty. What about around the urban neck of the woods in Kowloon Tong? Yes, uh, you know, it's always quite windy up in Kowloon Tong, but especially when there's mm. a typhoon. I feel like it's the knife of Kowloon. I don't know why I say knife, but, you know, it's just like it comes to that point and the winds are uh, quite, yeah. quite, I don't like know. Like a ridge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's very windy. Ah, mm. uh, well. You're in the safety of that uh, of that windowless studio, aren't you? So exactly, relying on weather updates <laughs> on, on our, yeah. from our correspondents. Yes, yeah. so it's Tuesday once again, and we've mm. had a lot of food-related stuff on the program already. So this morning on Global Flavors, yeah. uh, we we had a look at Shanghai food, um, which is mm. which is uh, very tasty, uh, but not as um, a bit sort of more mellow in taste compared to other Chinese cuisine. It's not sort of covered in heaps of sauce. It's still oh, quite right, saucy, yeah. but not as saucy as um, our other cuisines. Our, our guest was saying, is that your observation also, Andrew? I think- yeah, I think so. Although it can be very oily sometimes, oh. I think uh, some of the sauces in uh, in Shanghainese food not not spicy so much. But uh, I think because it's you know further north than than Canton region, so it's um, I think oil in food you know in the top half of of China is quite common. Uh, so you, you do you do notice that in sauces. I think in Cantonese cuisine, I think we get uh, not always, but we get a lot of lighter treatments of oil because it's that much hotter just doesn't go with the weather yeah exactly yeah yes, you have yeah. right well so i wanted to talk actually about something to do with chinese food myself and it is something that i hadn't done for a while until last week which was to eat some vegetarian uh chinese really more with a cantonese influence food and we we may have spoken about this Long time ago, in the uh, in the earlier stages of the nine years that uh, that we've been doing this Tuesday chat, but um, I think in the past we spoke a little bit about traditional vegetarian food in uh, a Cantonese interpretation of it in monasteries or in independent restaurants around Hong Kong. Do you do you ever go to any Noreen yourself? To any sort of independent restaurants. But- a vegetarian, oh, vegetarian, vegetarian Chinese one. Oh yes, yes, I have been to a, yeah. a few of them. They're yeah, they're very popular um, amongst yeah. uh, amongst well the many vegetarian people in Hong Kong, especially uh, Buddhists um, also. Yeah, exactly. So some of them have a Buddhist theme. Exactly, exactly, and that's and that's really I, I really remember that from my first years in Hong Kong in the early nineties, where it was you know, you'd get sort of little shrines in there. There'd sometimes be almost, um, yeah, monastic music playing sometimes. And there were all of these different mock meats which were on the menu. You'd get things listed as chicken and uh, pork or, you know, or char siu pork, the barbecue pork or beef, etc. But they all tasted pretty similar, I always thought. Those mock meats were doused in a very sweet sauce. The main difference I found was 
they're all very sweet in their taste, whether you had them, but it's the so-called beef chicken or whatever. Yeah, like and, sweet and sour. Um, yeah. And then the tasu, yeah, is always in that sweet yeah. and sour sauce yeah. or in a curry Sugary. sauce. Yeah, there were sometimes some curry ones as well, that's right. Um, but artificially sweet, too much. And this was going back some years, though. And so it was with great surprise when I went last week to a newish vegetarian restaurant, which is called Emeralds in the middle of Central. It's tucked away a few floors above the street, so you don't see it. But the food is the result of a Hong Kong chef who's been a chef for 30 years. His name is Michael Kong. And, um, and he, went, he went to vegetarian 20 years ago. Uh, so 10 years into his career, he started really studying non-meat Chinese food. And he's been, he's worked in kitchen in Taiwan and Shanghai, which ties up with, with, uh, don't know if you touched on vegetarian food in your Shanghai chat earlier. Um, but it's, um, it is something that, that goes on there a bit too, of course. Every, every, um, region I'm sure will have some, uh, different styles of Chinese food in China. And he's, what he's done is, ended up plating dishes that are looking i sent you a couple of pictures too late for you to probably see before you went on air for sure today oh, i'll put but, it on the facebook page now okay cool well yeah but the, but the way that he does it like a lot of restaurants even i don't know if you've noticed with non-vegetarian restaurants not the not the traditional cha chan tangs or the fast food places daikalok and places like that but but in ones that are kind of you know maybe just like a few dollars more than that. I think the plating of food, putting it the way it looks on a plate or a dish, is has become a lot more aesthetic, pleasing to the eye. And he certainly does this. And therefore, I, I mean, when you when you've got a high turnover for for you know low cost food, this isn't going to happen. So this restaurant is not fine dining that I'm talking about, but it um, it, it is uh, you know it, it it's not as uh, as cheaply priced as, mm. let's say, those fast food places. So you can afford when you charge a little bit more, I suppose, to make things look really nice and to use more subtle flavours and to use things that have a bit more um, depth of flavour than just one-dimensional. Absolutely. Like up. the one you sent yeah. me, that looks really mm. fancy. That's got, like, wolfberry. Is it wolfberry or goji yeah. berry on, on top? On top. Yeah. For a bit of garnish. Yeah, forget the parsley, Noreen. Let's yeah. have a goji berry. Yes. On top, <laughs> and it's it's actually um, yeah. I mean that uses two different types of steamed yam, uh, a white yam and a purple yam, wrapped in tofu skin, bean curd skin. It's all steamed, uh, but what gives it the the flavour is the green sauce that is next to it. Uh, it's uh, it's called a green sauce in, in in the menu, but it's actually using microalgae, and this is something I want to talk about uh, today. Um, but I, I wanted to lead into it because I tried this dish with that had microalgae in it. It became something I wanted to sort of dig into because I remember taking myself supplements years ago when I was working full-time at RCHK, actually. Um, it was the first time I'd heard of spirulina. Do you know what that is? No, that? what's that? Okay. Well, it's a microalgae that grows in salty water, but it's been it's been farmed for some time. To it's seen as one of these kind of superfood supplements by by some people, but it was meant to be very good at cleaning um, kidneys, liver, and all this sort of thing. And it's very popular. It really came to prominence in California about um, hmm. probably about twenty years ago, but not 
it's not been touted like really loudly, but it's something that's there on the supplement shelves, as are other microalgaes. And the interesting thing about this restaurant, going back to what I started with, Emerald, is that it's using microalgae as one of its protein ingredients. It's high in protein, too. So it can be like um, you can get your protein from this algae if you're not eating meat. And this restaurant, actually, is, um, is, is actually vegan rather than vegetarian, so they're not using eggs or anything else that, um, you know, has a sort of a, uh, a connection with things that are, uh, that are that are alive, apart from plants. You can argue that one. Are plants alive? Yes, they are, I suppose. And so is algae. But a really great thing for, um, for Hong Kongers to be proud of is that the kitchen in the restaurant is using a newish product called Aoka. Bit of a mouthful. It's E-I-Y-O-K-A, which has been recently... Yeah, it's recently been, it's, it's the name, it's actually the name of a product that has been made in our very own SAR by a startup scientific bio, um, a, a, a bio food producer called Geb Impact Technology. It's, it's the first um, bioscience startup to cultivate microalgae in Hong Kong. Ooh. And, yeah. And it's being used in the green sauce in the picture that I sent you, but also much more subtly. The green sauce really tastes a bit a lot. Now, I used to take spirulina, which was the dried algae, which you can add to rice. It's got a very kind of salty flavor because it comes from saltwater origins. Some algae don't. They come from um, freshwater. So you don't, they're not a saline tasting. But the, they, but all algae, whether they're grown in, in um, freshwater or saltwater, have an innately salty taste to them, which in food speak, um, it's a bit like, you know, we have the wine speak sometimes, you get these uh, these phrases, umami. Have you come across that? Oh, uh, yeah. That, the, yeah, the yeah. Fa- is it, are they like fava beans or are they different from them, umami? Oh, that's that's edamame. That's a, yeah, that's a Japanese, oh, a that's a, yes, that's a Japanese right. one, yeah. No, oh, yeah umami, umami. umami is used as a kind of descriptive word by some people in the kind of food business or food uh, critics sometimes use it, meaning that it's a kind of salty or savoury taste in the... It does come from Japanese. Oh, okay, so it's a taste. It's to describe the taste. A a savoury taste that comes from something naturally, or it can be a dish that is made by a chef that has an overriding salty, not over-the-top salty, but just a nice kind of savoury saltiness to it. And so algae has that, and I remember that from when I used to get... Um, algae to try and sort of detox a bit and to do, you know, as a, as a nutrient for myself, which was a long time ago. And when I tasted this sauce, it really reminded me of that. But they were using this stuff that's made in Hong Kong, Aoka, which is freshwater algae. And the production of that um, is, um, you know, in, in its infancy. It's very, very new in Hong Kong. But let's look at what is microalgae then. It's basically, as I've mentioned, it can grow in both fresh or seawater, so it can be in water that's in motion because it can be found close to the shore in, um, in coastal areas, or it can be farmed also, as it is more and more these days because there's a demand for it for supplements, you know, nutritious supplements. It it's, contains um, good amino acids and fatty acids, and it's also got all of those kind of uh, omega three, six, and seven, which you would get in fish oil, but it's a vegetarian equivalent that you can still get these along, as well as A, D, and E. And during this COVID era, 
Um, some algae has been snapped up because of that vitamin D content. People have believed that that is a good way of, uh, of fighting uh, COVID-19 virus. So it's been the sales, according to reports, uh, have gone up during COVID because of people wanting to boost their immunity. So, mm. so algae has become one of those supplements. Like a superfood. Yeah, it's considered by, by a lot of people as, as, as a, a superfood and it has the, it's rich in protein too. So, um, so it's really handy for people who want to cut down on meat or if they're vegetarian or vegan and don't have any meat. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of these alternatives, right? So, um, so it's an interesting one like bean curd or, or other mock bean-based bean, uh, um, or pea-based meats that we've talked about before. So it's an interesting one. Um, according to a report that I found from the U.S. last week by uh, Glo- uh, Globe Newswire, the news agency, um, the annual growth rate has been, since 2020, 5.3% globally. Now, that might not sound like um, a, a massive percentage rise, but it is really, because for people to be taking it as supplements or to be adding it to food, when you, when you look at what that's worth, that is predicted in this article to reach 1.3 billion US dollars uh, in sales of microalgae, whether it's in natural form for food or supplements, by 2027. And that will be 10.2 billion Hong Kong dollars. Again, it's not, you know, it's not a, uh, a kind of mass market product, but it's significant. So spirulina, which I mentioned before, um, which is, um, uh, yeah, one of the ones that kind of became one of the first names to go out there in the types or species of micro uh, algae, is uh, probably the biggest earner. And it's projected because, of, because some people are aware of, uh, of, of wanting to have that rather than other algaes um, to go up uh, to be worth. 578 million US dollars alone, just spirulina by 2027. Hmm. The study that was done um, has really shown that there's going to be growth in different areas that we might not expect very close to home, if not home itself. The China market is forecast to grow at 6.5% uh, between now and 2027. So it's, it's, it's getting more and more known in mainland there, China as yeah. well as Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that's much, much larger than in Japan, which is forecast to grow 4.8% during the same time. Um, so it really is something that's, that's happening a lot. Yeah, I mentioned that the one that's used in Hong Kong then by Jeb Impact Technology, it's called, the scientific name is Eugelina gracilis, and it's a freshwater species which can be cultivated in indoor uh, tanks and, um, you know, under very uh, hygienic conditions, of course, that's that's food um, compatible. And it's made, as it is in many indoor environments around the world, into powder once it's grown and dried to be used as an ingredient in food or drink or to be taken as supplements or sold on to be put into capsules or or tablet form. Um, in, In other microalgae news, Noreen. See, I'm sticking with this theme today. <laughs> big, big time. This is uh, another segment of the same theme. Um, it, it can be used in animal feed that could also fill the protein gap. This is what agricultural specialists are saying in a publication that I'm sure you uh, subscribe to called Feed and Grain. Ooh. You get that one, Noreen? <laughs> you got that one grain, coming yes. and dropping into the inbox? 
it's, uh, so, so I don't need to tell you about it. You'll know about it already, but I'll tell the listeners. Um, but it's, it's thought that uh, as animal feed becomes more and more difficult to produce because it relies on planting products in fields, the same as for humans, uh, that... Uh, that it, that, it, that it can be something that can be grown in industrial quantities to mix and blend in with livestock. So it can grow faster than conventional crops as well as not needing those outdoor, you know, field-like resources or whatever. And also other advantages that make, uh, according to this article in the uh, Grain and Feed publication, um, that there are so many reasons that I hadn't already mentioned for microalgae to be sustainable when it comes to agriculture it needs very little sun and water less than other crops and it is um once it's produced and dried one kilogram of it can be stored to to then be rehydrated to uh, to give feed uh, of double its weight to, to two kilograms wow. so there are all these all these different uh, reasons that it's great one of the most amazing things that i saw in all of this research is that um, that we're only just beginning to tap the market because it's estimated in various studies that there are, depending which study you believe, between 200,000 and 500,000 different species of freshwater and saltwater microalgae that exist in nature. So far, only 20 species are being commercially explored. So that's, that's just really the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the algae. The tip of the algae, and, uh, I was going to say. And, you know, they, I mean, right now it's sort of like a superfood. There could be another species that's a super, superfood that we haven't yet yeah, discovered. I bet, I bet there will be. Ten years' time when we're still doing Tuesday, Noreen, it will be, we'll be talking about it. Exactly. A cure to cancer, maybe. I hope so. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there are lots of hidden... Um, Benefits I mean, so of these... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing that was really interesting, there was a, um, uh, a farm, there is a farm that is producing in Iceland, the country uh, of Iceland, in conjunction with Cambridge University in the UK, producing indoor growth of algae. And the reason for that is that in some places that do have colder temperatures, you need to have a certain amount of, of heat, otherwise you can't grow them in an outdoor tank. And they are producing spirulina, which we've mentioned, you know, the most popular one, because they want to see if it's possible to make something that can grow uh, indoors and be commercially viable. And they're using pink light, which is, has been proven in tests so far with Cambridge University, to, uh, to increase the depth and um, percentage content of certain of those vitamins that I mentioned earlier on. Uh, to in, within the microalgae, it's been kind of proven through studies over the last two years that there are richer sources of A, E, and D when grown under pink light indoors. So that's something that's being studied right now, and there are some pretty groovy pictures of that online. Looks like something from the the twenty third century, I'd say at least. Um, it's, if you want to look into that, see some of these cool pictures. It's uh, a startup that is working with Cambridge University, and they're called Vaxa Technologies. Some uh, just some very um, yeah scientific uh, science fiction looking pics out there. 
So that's probably uh, about about it on the uh, on the <laughs> micro algae report there for today, Noreen. Perfect There'll be no timing. part two next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unless unless a new species has been discovered, <laughs> yeah. then definitely warrants for a part two or part three. Yes, Indeed. of these microalgae. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing um, more about uh, some global uh, updates on, on food news. And I look forward to more chats with you next week. Thank you so much.